John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. Last week we were looking at uh, who are we as servants of the Lord. And uh, uh, now we're looking at who is Jesus. John points us to really who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And he is the Lamb of God. So John 1, uh, verses 29 to 34. And those are the verses that we'll look at this morning. Let's pray before we read. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we thank you for your word in English, in a language we can understand and with so many different translations that we can read. We ask that you would attend uh, the reading of your word and also the consideration of it uh, with your Holy Spirit so that each one of us can be uh, filled up where we are uh, hungry and thirsty and equipped where we are lacking. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Right, John 1 at verse 29, the next day uh, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This, of he, this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here this morning, I'd like to imagine, I'd like for you to imagine sitting in a courtroom. And on one side of uh, the courtroom uh, is uh, uh, people who are saying that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is a phony, a fake, uh, a blasphemer, uh, someone who's not from God. He's really kind of a, a liar or just someone who's gone crazy. That's the prosecution. On the other side are several witnesses uh, who are defending the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the defendant. Uh, and they are uh, giving testimony, validity as to whether or not he's He's true. He's real. He's the Messiah that everybody's supposed to be looking for. And the first witness that's called into this courtroom is actually John the Baptist. So he walks up to the stand and, and he takes a seat and he's asked, you know, can you prove to us that Jesus is the Christ of God? Prove to us that this is the one we're supposed to be looking for and the hope of Israel, uh, the hope of the world. And so John begins his testimony. We're going to spend most of our time in verse 29, but I want to look at verses 30 to 34 in light of John's testimony and he says, well, um, uh, in light of verse 30, uh, this is he of whom I said after me comes a, a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Uh, the first thing I want to say to this court is that uh, Jesus was born after me, but he actually comes before me. And he was born after me, but he's actually more important than I am. Now, if you're trying to build a ministry like John the Baptist, may, that people have, may have been accusing him of doing and may have been thinking that he's doing. If you're trying to build a ministry, you don't start this way. You don't start by saying, Jesus Christ is before me in the sense of importance. Or you don't say Jesus Christ is eternal, even though he was born after me, because again, that would just blow people's minds. They wouldn't necessarily follow your ministry after you say these things that probably sound crazy uh, to the minds of, of the Jewish church of his day. So he begins by saying that. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. And second, let me tell you something else. I didn't realize that this Jesus was the Christ. Now I know our, our moms talked way back when, and uh, they, they got together and said some pretty crazy things by, by, the, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I didn't know until 
I saw the Holy Spirit descend on him that this indeed was the Christ. Uh, because the one who sent me, God, uh, told me that the Messiah, the one you're supposed to point to, you'll know who he is when you see the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove and remain there. Then you'll know. So John's saying, I didn't know this. You know, I had a pretty good indication. He came, talked about not baptizing him. I need to be baptized by you. But, but until that dove came down and that Holy Spirit came down and the Father spoke, I wasn't uh, for sure. I didn't uh, know. You know, and I've seen, I've done a lot of baptisms, John could say from the stand. I've been at the Jordan for quite a while. I've seen people crying. I've seen the toughest, hardest people come there and be bawling in tears, repenting of their sins. I've seen people plug their noses. They're afraid they're going to drown when they go under. I've seen people that, are, that sit down underneath the water for a long time uh, and, and seem to be enjoying every last minute of it. I've seen people so scared that I can hardly get them to be baptized because they're so scared of water. And I've seen people complain that the water is even dirty, right? Kind of like Naaman did. But I've never seen in hundreds or thousands of baptisms, I've seen a lot of stuff, but I have never seen the heavens part and the Holy Spirit come down and rest on somebody like a dove and the Father speak, this is my son whom I love. I have never seen that. And so that's why, and so John would say, that's why I said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world because that's the one. I've never done a baptism like that. This has never happened before. I can tell you, there's the Christ. God told me to point to him when he comes. I'm the voice in the wilderness. I'm crying out, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God. And I want us to, I spend the rest of our time, really, uh, in light of John's testimony, uh, looking at verse 29 and just picking it apart. Because this is the, the, the utterance John makes when he, when he sees Jesus. And he's going to repeat it again. We'll notice that uh, next week, we're willing. This is the first time he's really pointing to Jesus and giving us a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing John wants us to know about the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, is that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So notice with me just five things, uh, a first of, of which is this, behold the Lamb of God. Now behold is a word which means to look at, be enraptured by, you could argue even stare. It means to take a long look at something and just consider it. Don't pass by it quickly. Uh, don't just glance at it, but, but take a long, hard look. And behold is a word of conviction. Remember, John's out uh, with hundreds or thousands of people, great crowds are around him being baptized. And so if John raises his voice and cries out, behold, in other words, hey, everybody, take a look. Uh, he's not going to do this in order to embarrass himself. He's going to be very sure of what it is he's calling people to look at. And so John's really confident. Uh, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's drawing everybody's attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to make sure that he's not wrong about this. If we're ever going to point people to Jesus in the same way, beloved, we have to have this sort of conviction that John had. And it, it can be something that we might take for granted. But let me ask you a few things. Is Jesus the one who has bled and died for your sins? Is he God in the flesh? Does he have the authority to judge on the last day? Does he hold the keys to everlasting life and everlasting condemnation? Is knowing him the single most important thing for every human being in all the world? What do we say about these things? Do we answer yes to those things? Is that our conviction that knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important thing for every human being? It was John the Baptist's conviction. His conviction is, look, everybody, you got to take a look at this person right here. Look at him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Nobody else is as important as Jesus is. John picks him out of the crowd and says, here he is. Because his conviction is that this is the Lamb of God. Beloved, what are our convictions regarding this? I, I, was, uh, I was convicted uh, years ago. Uh, John Stott wrote, Our Guilty Silence, and in it, uh, he, he mentions this. One of the main reasons for our silence is that we lack either a thorough knowledge of the gospel or a conviction about its truth or both. Uh, there can be no evangelism without an evangel, no mission without a message. And then he goes on to quote a Buddhist monk who said, it looks as if Christianity has reached the stage in adolescence when the child is slightly ashamed of his father and embarrassed when talking about him. I think that captures uh, something that, that we might undergo, at least I know I myself uh, have, have inklings of that too, uh, that to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, means we have to have enough conviction uh, 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 to, to actually uh, point people out because it might, they might not accept him and our lives might be difficult. And John the Baptist had this conviction and we need this conviction as well. Uh, not embarrassment, not, not being ashamed of the gospel, but like Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and I'm going to tell everybody else about Jesus and I'm going to point people uh, to him. How is this with you? I'm asking the same of myself. Secondly, I want us to notice, behold the Lamb of God. So first he draws attention, behold, and then mentions this, this Lamb of God. And uh, throughout the redemptive history, there's been a lot of lambs. Remember, John the Baptist is an Old Testament prophet. He's the last of the prophets. He's the greatest. Uh, and, and he talks about Jesus as the Lamb of God. And you know, people have spilled a lot of ink regarding what lamb he's referring to. Is this the Genesis 22 lamb, the ram caught in the thicket that saved Isaac, that was in place of Isaac? Is this the Exodus 12 Passover lamb that uh, the blood was shed and the Israelites came out underneath that blood that was spread on the doorposts? Is this Leviticus 4 lamb and the, the lambs that were offered for sin offerings all throughout redemptive history? Is this the Isaiah 53, 7 lamb that was led, like, that was led to the slaughter and didn't say a word? Which lamb is it? I think what many people conclude is that what John's talking about is just he's the lamb of all the lambs. He's the fulfillment of all the lambs that ever lived in the entire Old Testament. This is the lamb to end all lambs. And it's not a lamb taken from someone's field. Uh, this is the lamb of God. This is a lamb taken from heaven. Jesus isn't the lamb picked out by human hands. God picked this lamb. Uh, this is not a lamb belonging to a shepherd. This is a lamb belonging to God. This is a lamb who is God. John says, behold, there's the lamb from God, not a lamb of God, but the lamb of God. Here's the one we've been looking forward to. Finally, we can be done sacrificing when this lamb is sacrificed. Finally, we have the one, we have the one whose blood will finally spill in place of all the blood that spilled from the other lambs. And I want to mention thirdly, or have us look at thirdly. So behold, uh, he's drawing our attention to Jesus. He's calling him the Lamb of God. And then uh, thirdly, uh, he, he mentions this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I want to focus in on that word sin. So what the Lamb has come to do is deal with sin. In fact, to take away the sin, but first to deal with uh, sin. The word here for sin is just the word to miss the mark. It has to do with missing a target. Uh, I was recently, I, I got a rifle and uh, was really anxious to get this thing sighted in. I backed up all the way to 100 yards and shot once. <laughs> and the paper didn't move as a massive target. <laughs> I was thinking, well, um, maybe the scope's off. Maybe I'm just that bad of a shot, <laughs> uh, it, which could very well be. 
And so I took a second shot thinking maybe it went through and the paper wouldn't move. Again, dead aim right at the, right at the target, nothing hit. Finally, I took a third shot and I walked down and I thought I had hit it. I thought, you know what, it's going right through the paper and it's really, and I'm, I'm just an excellent marksman. <laughs> and I walked down there and to my surprise, there's not, there's not a mark on the paper. It looked just like it did when I hung the paper up there, you know, 15 minutes earlier. And this missing the mark is the exact same thing, beloved. We can try and try and try, but the scope's off or we're messed up and we can try to please God and obey him, but we're broken. There's something going on. Our motivations are broken. Our wills are broken. Our hearts are broken. Our emotions are broken. Our thoughts are broken. And so try as hard as we can. We can aim at that target day in and day out. We can go through thousands of rounds of ammunition and we're not hitting the target. That's what sin is. So we can try as hard as we want, beloved. The world around us can try as hard as it wants. Every human being can. No matter how hard we try, we're not going to hit the target of perfect obedience, the bullseye, perfection. It's not going to happen. Our scope is that far off, but also we are just that broken. We have a problem hitting the target. Christianity deals with sin. I, I know this isn't something popular uh, we live in a time where uh, even the slightest comments, maybe we're extra thin-skinned. I don't know if we have been. Everything that has been always will be. So there's nothing new under the sun. But maybe we're a little more thin-skinned uh, than a generation ago. We don't like to talk about sin. And Actually, back in 1938, the same problem existed. H. Richard Niebuhr, in his book, The Kingdom of God in America, has this famous quote, you've probably heard it, that he, he, he was critiquing uh, uh, liberal Protestantism for their view of, of atonement, for their view of God, for their view of sin. And he wrote that a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That wasn't a compliment. What he's saying is this, we, we've stripped Christianity of everything that's important of it. God has, doesn't have wrath anymore. We don't sin. There's no judgment in the kingdom. We don't need Christ on a cross. All that is just example stuff, but not necessary for our salvation. What he's arguing for is a return to, to many things, one of which is simply a definition of sin or the talking about it, the reality of it. Uh, the religion that we profess, the Savior that we believe in, uh, uh, the, the, do not allow, does not allow us to tell men and women and to believe for ourselves that we just have a few character flaws, that we just need a little better training, a little more information, and then everything will be right with God. Our religion, beloved, Christianity, the Bible teaches us that we are so utterly broken, God couldn't do a rehab on us. He couldn't rehabilitate us, saying, hey, just come in here. You've got actually some really good qualities. I need to heighten those and work on the weaknesses, and you'll be good to go, and I'll be pleased with you. And we're so broken, God says, actually, the old man has got to die. But i got to send my son in your place. We need a whole new you. That's what sin does. We can't rehab the old you. It's so broken, we need to make an old you, a brand new you, and, and kill the old. That's what the message of Christianity is. That's what sin has done uh, to us. And that's how dire of a condition we are in uh, by nature. So that we need a lamb to come down here and do something for us. What does this lamb do? Uh, the fourth thing I want us to look at, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The word take away has to do with seizing control or taking by force. So for the lamb to take away our sin, he has to grab it, 
bear it, and walk away with it. He's got to come get it, lift it off of us, and to go bear it by himself. That's what it is to take away uh, sin. You wouldn't think that taking poison away from a child would be that hard. But if you lace that poison with ice cream, all of a sudden it can be very hard to take it away. Beloved, that's how hard it is for us to admit that we have sin which needs to be taken away by somebody else. Because sin by nature to us tastes like ice cream so many times. It tastes good. We don't want to let go of it. We don't, want to, we don't want to admit that we have it. We want to think that we're actually doing pretty good. And yet John says, look, we've got sin. There's a lamb. He's from God, and he'll deal with our sin by taking it upon himself and taking it away. Uh, for any of us who might think, I know none of us here do, uh, that we can deal with sin. Spurgeon uh, mentioned this, the heaviest thing in the universe is sin. The earth has been known to open beneath the unbearable load of it, Neither, neither angels nor men can stand under the load of it. It sinks them lower than the lowest hell. When sin was laid upon the Lamb of God, he bore it, but he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And he was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. To have borne up the weight of the world would have been nothing compared with bearing the sin of the world. Uh, sin is just that uh, much to deal with. It's that weighty. It's that significant uh, that we can't deal with it ourselves. But oftentimes we like to deal with it ourselves. And there's a couple ways we can deal with it. I, I like to just mention we can, we can downplay our sin. One way to try and deal with our sin without letting Christ take it away is by downplaying it. So we can downplay it in a couple ways. We can ignore it and we pretend that it's not that big of a deal. Uh, you know, we'll eventually we'll have to tune out everybody around us. This is actually does kind of a big deal, like our, our spouse and our family members and our roommates and our friends, right, who are getting really annoyed by our sin. So we'll have to drown them out and we'll find out on the last day that indeed our sin is a huge problem that needs to be dealt with. And we'll also discover that uh, we'll find it very difficult to live with others if we downplay our sin. Ignoring sin is like walking around with the main artery sliced all the way through or bleeding out and we're saying everything's fine. We might be deceived into thinking everything's fine because we're delusional, but nobody around us thinks that everything is fine. People can see that things aren't fine in our life. Another way that we can deal with sin is not just ignoring it, but hiding it. We can try and brush it under the rug, uh, live like hypocrites, sort of a sham. We do one thing in private, not in public. We give this great uh, uh, persona in public of everything's good, everything's well, life is all put together. How are you doing? Awesome. But behind the scenes, we're just being killed and slayed by sin over and over again. So we can try and uh, hide it. But again, hiding sin is like trying to cover Mount Everest with a quilt. Right? You can walk up to the peak and put the quilt over there, but the quilt doesn't cover much, and you can still see what's underneath the quilt. You can still see the shape of it. It just doesn't work uh, to hide sin. Or we can try and atone for it. Uh, we can replace uh, John's words, Behold the Lamb of God with, Behold my career, which takes away my sin. Behold my guilt, my feeling guilty, and my tears and my cries, which takes away my sin. Behold my really good family, all my possessions, my intellect, my kindness, my being better than those people I read about in the news today takes away my sin because my good deeds outweigh my bad. And I can atone for my sin by simply outweighing my sin with my good deeds. And I think uh, one of the ways to um, uh, debunk that is using the language of that great hymn, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. 
Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. So we can try and downplay our sin. We can try and hide it, ignore it. We can try and atone for it. Or we can do this great thing. We can let Jesus take it away. Just way better. We can let Jesus take it away. You know, if someone offered out, offered us to take our trash out for the rest of our lives, <laughs> who wouldn't sign up for that free of charge? You know, hey, I'll come to your house. I'll empty the trash underneath the sink and your bathrooms, wherever you have the, the biggest trash mess. I'll empty it all out free of charge. I just love taking out other people's trash. I'll carry it to the road. I'll put the can on the road. I'll call up the trash company. I'll make trips to the dump for you. I will do all of this free because I want to do this. There won't be a single objector, I'm guessing, other than maybe some of us as parents might say, I want my kids to do it so they can learn to deal with all that nasty stuff. But beloved, not a single one of us would object. But it just goes to show how proud we are that God shows up on the scene and says, here's my son. He's come to take away sin. And we say, no, I'll, I want to deal with my own trash. No, I'm going to handle all this stuff on my own. Oh, no, I can handle this. Oh, no, I'm better than you say I am. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not that broken. Oh, no, just give me a little bit of time. Tell me what I need to do, and I'll figure this out. And I'll so overwhelm you, Lord, with my obedience that it will more than make up for the ways I've already failed. But if God shows up and says, look, I've sent my son. He'll take out your trash for free. All of your sin, he'll put it on his back. He'll pay for it, and he'll deal with it, and he'll make it disappear. And then we'll have a great relationship. And by nature, we say, Lord, we don't want it. That's how sick we are uh, in, in sin. We have a difficult time letting Jesus deal with our sin. We want to deal with it ourselves. I came across this uh, years ago. Mark McMinn, he wrote a book. He's a, a clinical uh, a psychology teacher, a Christian at Wheaton College. He wrote Why Sin Matters. And he recounts the story of a young lady who actually grew up in a really encouraging home filled with tons of self-esteem. Her parents told her over and over, you're good, you know, you're great, you're wonderful, uh, we love you a lot. Uh, there's nothing you can't do, all the good stuff that parents are supposed to uh, tell their kids. And uh, after her conversion, she saw the flaw of her upbringing and she wrote this. Somehow deep down, or, or this was written about her, somehow deep down she always knew that she was not quite as great as her parents thought she was. She knew there was an intrinsic need for healing, an inner darkness, a moral decay, which was also part of her character. As she ventured into the teenage traps of promiscuity and drugs, she felt like an imposter as if no one could know about her true self or else they would stop loving her. She didn't need another self-esteem button or sticker to wear around the house. What she longed for was authentic awareness of her good and bad qualities and love that was big enough to embrace her regardless of her sin. When she turned to God as a young adult, she found that what she had been longing for, one who knew every dark corner of her soul and still believed her to be worthy of love, forgiveness, acceptance, and grace. Self-esteem and positive self-talk could not meet her deepest need. A sound theology of sin and grace was her only hope. In other words, her parents tried to hide her from her sin by ignoring it or downplaying it. And she didn't find hope and healing until she actually looked at her sin straight away and let Jesus take it away from her and redeem her. And something else I think might be helpful as we look at Jesus taking it away we need to undergo the humiliation of having someone else take our punishment. This is maybe the, one of the hardest things for us to grasp, even as believers. Uh, John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, quoted 
uh, Emil Bruner, who said all other forms of religion, not to mention philosophy, deal with the problem of guilt apart from the intervention of God, and therefore they come to a cheap conclusion. In them, man is spared the final humiliation of knowing that the mediator must bear the punishment instead of him. To this yoke, he need not submit. He is stripped. He is not stripped absolutely naked. That's what Emil Bruder said, and Stott uh, commented on that. But we cannot escape the embarrassment of standing stark naked before God. It is no use for us to try to cover up like Adam and Eve in the garden. Our attempts at self-justification are as ineffectual as their fig leaves. We have to acknowledge our nakedness, see the divine substitute wearing our filthy rags instead of us, and allow him to clothe us with his own righteousness. Nobody has ever put it better than Augustus Top Lady. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Let me just conclude that point with this. Will you let Jesus take away your sin? Will we stop justifying it, downplaying it, ignoring it, hiding it, trying to atone for it, and just let Jesus take away our sin? It's glorious. It's refreshing. It's the only thing that can bring us true joy to know that he doesn't just take, to know that he won't just take it away, but that he came to do just that and wants to do it. He signed up to do it for you and me. That's amazing grace, truly glorious. And then finally, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So just that, of the world. So for John the Baptist, he believed Jesus was the solution for the whole world. Uh, this isn't saying that Jesus paid for the sins of everybody in the whole world because that it would make no sense that anybody would go to hell. If someone's sins are paid for, they don't go to hell. What he's saying is this, Jesus is the solution for every sinner in the entire world. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you are. And John the Baptist's ministry is proof of that. He's not in Jerusalem in the temple courts baptizing. He's not standing in Jerusalem baptizing. He's several miles away, dozens of miles away in the Jordan River, out past you know, Jewish country, baptizing anybody. Telling him, look, anybody who wants to come and repent of their sins, I'll baptize you. So even his ministry is proof that this Savior, Jesus Christ, isn't for a select few in the church, isn't for a select few who might not be as bad as the others, but is for every single individual in the world. Every single sinner in the world needs the Lord Jesus Christ and can be saved by his blood. In other words, this salvation provided by God is not a private Jewish salvation or a Roman salvation or a Greek salvation only. It's salvation for every one of us, including Pelaites, including everyone who lives around here, Iowaites, including United States of Americans, including Ethiopians, including Chinese, including Kenyans. Beloved, there is no limit. Everyone in all the world can be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's the only way uh, that anyone can be saved. There are always some in the church, though, there were always some in the church, and they, they came to John. They didn't like John the Baptist's ministry. They didn't like Jesus' ministry either. There's always some in the church who like to keep salvation a little smaller. Let's keep it among us who are the neat and clean and the ones we know. And when other dirty people walk in, real sinners who've got real problems and let, you know, it's all on their sleeve and they don't look like us, they can't possibly be saved. And John says, look, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the worst people in the world that you might know who walk in your church or who pull up in a cubicle next to you or who move in next door 
or who become your neighbors when you move to them. And they need Jesus Christ too, just like you and I needed him. They're no different by nature than we are at all. Not a lick of difference. They're in the world just like we are. And Jesus Christ is for them too. Well, just in conclusion, look, uh, for, for any who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, look, we can spend our time trying to measure up, trying to hit that target, and we can complain that the scope's off, that we're not good shots, just let us train for a while, but it's not gonna work. We're never gonna hit the target. It's not possible to hit the target perfectly. So if you're sitting here thinking, or you know someone thinking, or you're listening and you're thinking, hey, you know, I'm gonna save myself someday. I'm gonna make myself right with God. You just as well stop the endeavor now. Here's the glorious good news. Jesus Christ came down to this world to take away your sin. If you will believe in him, your sin is taken away. It's that simple. All you have to do is trust him and your sins are taken away, all the way away. There's not a single one left that you have to deal with. You will have zero pieces of garbage left in your life to haul out. He will take the entire load and put it in the dumpster. And for those of us who are believers, you know, there are plenty of uh, people, uh, Christians included, maybe we're the majority, who want a king to reign over our lives in order to ensure that nothing bad ever happens to us in this life. There are plenty of Christians who want a teacher or a guru to tell us exactly how to live so we can acquire the most happiness in this life. And there are plenty of Christians who want a political revolutionary who will tell us how to vote and set up a political system of power for the advantage of Christians so we can live comfortable in this life. But when Jesus comes, we get a lamb. That's it. We get a lamb. So that in this life, we can have forgiveness of sins. In this life, our sins are taken away. In this life, we have forgiveness. And that is the desperate need of every single human being. Are we convinced of this? Do we live and speak as though we're convinced of this? Let's pray.